Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. It is Monday, May 22nd. We have Pete Sampson back from Seattle with Tim O'Malley. I'm Tim Priester. Uh, Pete got an opportunity to speak with the Notre Dame Club of Greater Seattle. Also got a Mumford & Sons and U2 concert out of it yeah. as well. Tell us about that. <laughs> it was a great show. Uh, it was $100 well spent at, uh, at Quest Field on Sunday night. Yeah, it was... I. I don't think I'd seen U2 since they played at Notre Dame, yeah. which was back in like 2003, maybe? 2002? Incredible show. Um, so if you're in a location where U2 is coming or within a four-hour car ride of it, you should go to go that show. It. It's great. What did uh, what did the Notre Dame fans of the greater Seattle area want to know about? Uh, let's see. The, there was a lot of what the hell happened conversation. <laughs> um, that sort regarding? Of, that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, VJ Beecham's uh, yeah, NCAA tournament performance. Um, no, it's, I, I think there's when I go out and do these alumni events, and Tim, I'm sure you're the same way. Like you know, go to Milwaukee or so. There's a lot of like, what is going on? Um, you know, it's, I go out in, in the initial sort of charge of these things was to introduce the incoming class and people are like okay could you get through that so we can talk about <laughs> whether brian kelly's gonna be well, back there are plenty who, of, who, the, who the next coach would be um there are plenty of talking points there's yeah, no doubt about that man so it's uh i did sort of like a 15 minute quick wrap up of the class and then it was just 90 straight minutes of like rapid fire questions um and it's cool because it's all just sort of it's in a brewery People are hanging out. I don't have to worry about anything that I say on my message board. Um, so it's fun. It's it's a it's a cool group out there. I, I really enjoyed doing them. Well, good. Well, welcome back. And uh, you know, while you were gone, or as you were returning, you know, some news with Nordin basketball. Prentice Hub, the four star commitment, the the uh, combo guard. He's combo guard. Nordin likes him as a as a point guard. He 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 has been playing shooting guard because he's got a five foot seven teammate that's going to Miami, uh, Chris Likes, so they will be playing against each other in the future. Some some rumblings about Notre Dame and the ACC joining the ACC. We've heard that before. I don't really know why that's even necessary anymore now that once Jack Swarber created that, uh, that relationship with the ACC. And, of course, Elise Mack has made grades, so Notre Dame's tight end position is as good as anybody's in the country. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that was good to see, and I think we've sort of talked about it on the podcast where we've been able to sort of peck around the, the fringes here, and so we're not just listening to what Brian Kelly says about, yeah, I expect Alizé Mack to make grades. Like, privately, they really they thought, this was go- they thought this was going to happen. Like, he was on track. Oh, okay. Right, right. Yeah, but, but it wasn't like he's just coasting through. Yeah. So that's, that is really significant news. It changes the whole dynamic well, of the obviously, offense, whether he scored a touchdown yet or not. Yeah. I mean, obviously he's, he, you can, you got to say LSA Mack was motivated, right? I mean, yeah. he has been absolutely it, motivated since the bad news. What? Nine months ago or 10 months ago. I, I give the kid a lot of credit. He's, 
He's Notre Dame first. He, I don't know that he ever wavered about coming back. Maybe he did. Maybe there's some stuff behind closed doors. But publicly, he was all in. I give the kid a lot of credit. He's pretty public about it, too. Yeah. So if he wavered behind closed doors, good for him for not announcing he was wavering because he yeah. announced everything else. But, hey, the first <laughs> practice we went to, I've never seen a guy more involved in practice, whether he was starting right. or suspended. And Brian Kelly joked, of course, that's not going to continue. I think at the end of camp he looked a little defeated and realized that yeah. games were going to be played without yeah. him. But good for him coming back. And I say that because he's really good at football because this would not be as big of news for the standard guy that gets suspended. That's, he is a true difference maker. Out yeah, there. well, yeah, because he's, be, because he's beyond a tight end. Yeah. He's wide receiver-like, and, and they're loaded at that position. Brock Wright, as good as Brock Wright is, and we can see he's going to be good, he's going to have a hard time getting on the field this year, at least a tight end. And that's with a, a two-tight end type offense that Chip Long likes. So, I mean, really. They'll get him on the field. If it was a one-tight end offense, he'd right. really back there. Right. But he'll get on. Just, yeah, I would know, think so. But I think, Nick, I think Nick Wisher's heavily involved there, yeah. too. So, it's you know, I mean, reps are going to be a little bit difficult. And, and, I, and I don't know if they're going, to, they're going to be running from too tight end all the time. But that's basically what we saw throughout the spring. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's what, and that's what we want to really, yeah, really see in the fall, Well, too. especially when your tight end course yeah. is as talented as it is. Yeah, absolutely. And you have somebody who can move around like Ali J. Mack. Um, you know, the, I think this happened on Monday uh, that the Tim Brando ACC... I, I guess I don't get it. Like, what's the... I mean, I, I realize this happens cycle. every offseason yeah. when nothing else is going on. Um, maybe it was because the ACC meetings were happening. There's, you know, a lot of people talking... Brando's there, some whispers of it, but I, from a Notre Dame perspective, why? Until it's a, Until it's a college football playoff ends. access yeah. issue where there's like you have to win a conference to make the playoff. I don't. It's not happening. They're not they have, joining until 2026 at the earliest. They've got ACC That's games right. scheduled through 2037. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they've got ACC games scheduled, and uh, you know, I mean, obviously that can change. The makeup of the ACC can change, but. They're scheduled for 25 more years. Isn't that right? Was it 2037? But they are set through this, I mean, realistically speaking, through the college football playoff, unless something changes to the college football playoff setup through 2025, they will be an independent team that plays five or six ACC teams a year. And that's why, I I mean, I I marveled at the time when it happened, and I still do today. The the deal that Jack Swarbrick swung with ACC... I don't want to say highway robbery, but, I mean, he got everything basically that he wanted. He had a landing spot for all of his other sports. Uh, It's been great for basketball, absolutely fantastic for basketball, men's basketball anyway. But good for the ACC, too. It it really has been. As a a former Nordian baseball player, and, and they're struggling, they just got into the ACC tournament as a 12th team. It's tough in that conference, man. It's, yeah, it's bad, good for, ba- it's bad yeah. for baseball. Bad short-term, good long-term if you can start to make some inroads. We thought they were two years ago when they went to the NCAA tournament. They've now finished uh, seventh, which means last in the Atlantic division of the ACC the last two years. So it's tough, you know, for I think for a couple uh, of the sports going into the ACC. But it's a great deal. I don't see how it's even an issue anymore. Well, one of the sports that it is great for is men's basketball. Probably the greatest for men's basketball uh, based on what they get there. And I think that the Prentice Hub commitment for people who haven't really tracked this, Gonzaga Prep in D.C., um, I think on Scout he's 27th or yes, 20, yeah. 20, 27th. 27th nationally, which is the high among recruiting services. But... I think you'd have to look at this as a, a commitment that is more in the 
Tarin Francis mold where you like you just went out and got a great guy that a lot of other programs wanted. It's not Demetrius Jackson who grew up down the street. Right, right. And they really haven't signed anybody at this level. I mean, certainly way above Beecham, way above Gibbs. Harvey, Harvey I don't know, what, what was DJ Harvey? Harvey was top like, 100. yeah, a little bit below that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, really, if you want to look at it that way, back-to-back, top 50 guys, yeah. out of region. I mean, I realize that Notre Dame basketball views D.C. as their backyard, and they've done a good job carving that out. But um, these these last two commitments feel like, Oh yeah, you went to the Elite Eight two years in a row. Type of commitments. Absolutely, and you need to you need to get some of those guys. Yeah, no doubt about it. Prentice Hub listed six three, probably a little bit underneath that. Played, uh, you know, as I mentioned, um, shooting guard this year because he's got a teammate that they list him at five seven. I think he's five five, but he's really Chris likes is really spectacular and going to Miami. But you know, so he's a guy that can play both positions. But I think Nordame's bringing him in as a. As a point guard, Matt Farrell will be gone after this year. T.J. Gibbs will be a junior. Shooting guard. Well, yeah. That's what, <laughs> that's let, let me have, he'll be a junior when Prentice Hub comes in, and if T.J. Gibbs doesn't improve his ball handling in, tremendously over last year, then Prentice Hub will definitely be the point guard. Otherwise, he'll share that with Gibbs. But it's a good defensive perimeter. We talked about this right before the podcast started. In two years, you'll have athletes with quick hands and feet in Harvey, Hub, Gibbs, who has great defensive hands, um, and Fluger. Now you just need the, the piece in the middle to complement that. It doesn't matter how many guys are good defensively yeah. on the outside, but that is, that's crucial uh, upcoming in both graduate transfer possibilities and recruiting. We have one of our questions in segment two, burning up the boards, asked about that. We'll get into that more. But in addition to the guys that you're saying that they will have on the perimeter, I think Nordheim feels like they have a, a, a shot at Luther Muhammad and Robbie Carmody. <laughs> And so now you're really you're really loaded on and the perimeter. You're doing something Notre Dame has not done: recruiting over guys, which is great. Yeah, somebody gonna be unhappy they don't get to play, and that somebody won't be a bad player like it usually is. It's go, or an average player, I shouldn't mm-hmm. say bad. An average yeah. player, it's gonna be a good player, and that's a problem that good college good college programs have. We'll talk more about the big guys in segment two, but uh, Pete, you've been following Malik Zaire and uh, for years, for years now. <laughs> it seems like <laughs> years. Like job or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he actually has completed his graduate transfer year and is moving on to the next graduate transfer. Um, but yeah, there was some reports that he was going to decide on Friday, which I shot down because they don't make any sense. Because um, he wants to go to Florida. The SEC meetings have to come and go for that to happen because Florida needs to get a waiver to take a graduate transfer. This is something that I said in January. And nothing has changed. Um Last, last week was full of fake Notre Dame news. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> From the like, conference to Malik Sayer. I don't, I don't get it. Because um, if, if he doesn't end up at Florida, this whole semester off was a waste. Um, that was the one school that he wanted to go to that was going to require him waiting until summer. He could have been at Wisconsin in January. Um, I know there's been some talk about Texas. The quote that I got about that is, hell no, and that offense gets you killed. Uh, he has no interest in being the next Greg Ward. Um, Harvard, I don't know what that's about. It, that doesn't make any sense either. So he wants to go to Florida. Florida wants him at Florida. And Florida has told him to expect that waiver to come through so he can go to Florida. So unless the SEC really, at the 11th hour, I believe their meetings are next week um, or at the end of this week. Probably not over Memorial Day weekend. Um, unless something changes there. And they backtrack on everything that they've said that they're going to do. 
Malik Sire will be a Florida next year. And that's good. And he wants to be a, in a pro-style yep. attack, and that's good. I think the fact that he's not really a pro-style quarterback will be exposed in that scenario. But they, I don't think they have any pro-style quarterbacks on their roster. I, I'm, I'm sure they not. I'm sure they don't, but... I know what you're saying. Though. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I understand why Malik Zayer wants to do that. More power to him. Oh, That's the right great. call. You're not looking to have one but good year that, of it, college type. Jack, find the find the the film review of Malik Zayer coming out of high school. And the question was always accuracy. <laughs> and it remains accuracy. He's not an NFL level. He's not an SEC level pro-style quarterback. But if he can pull that off and get a shot and a, with a great chance to improve... More power to him. Yeah, I mean, these are your Felipe Franks, who is just all... That's one of the quarterbacks. Austin Appleby, I believe, is still there. And then, um, yeah, it's, I think Luke Del Rio is the other one. It, he should be able to at least create something out of nothing in a way that their quarterbacks couldn't at all last year. Um and look, they've got so much talent everywhere else on that team. Uh, I know they lost a bunch on defense, but it's Florida. They recruit a lot of good defensive athletes all the time. Um, he just needs to be pretty good down there, and they they should win a bunch of games. They'll be in contention for the SEC East. That would be, to me, if I was him, that would that would be the first place I would want to go because they really need help at the quarterback position, but they've got good guys everybody, everywhere else. So you get a shot at the... LSU's and Alabama's maybe in SEC title games. You get the Tennessee Georgia type matchups. Like that would be a fun place to spend one year. Yeah, this is a, quite a schedule he gets to play. Do you know who they open with? You remember this? Michigan, right? Yeah, they open with Michigan and with Florida State, and in between have Tennessee, LSU, A and M, Georgia. Yeah, in addition to being surrounded by a lot of talent in yeah. Florida, he's, he's, he's also going to be talent. looking into a bunch <laughs> yeah. of talent. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's a sign right there. So Michigan, you can see Michigan's why, you, gonna be fun. You can see why Florida would not want to roll out with Luke Del Rio. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I I totally understand where Florida is going with this. I hope it works out for Malik because he's he's invested all this time. Yeah, your and point is he's it a out. better dual threat quarterback than Pro. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think he's it's making going a career to, effort. Yeah, absolutely. Career, which know? is yeah. a, which is a smart decision. Yeah. yeah. So that would make. Hey, I would watch a lot of Florida football. I'll certainly will well, be watching will, that Michigan will. game. some good games on here. You might as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for segment one, Irish Illustrated Insider. We've got a bunch of questions for readers, so we'll get into all that next segment two. Welcome back to segment two, Burning Up the Boards. And our first question from AWW Tone. Comes directly from the message board, I believe. It was a good one posed over the weekend. Excluding Alabama and Ohio State, what programs can we more reasonably compare to ND today? Who is Notre Dame's current peer group of schools? Uh, yeah, this was an interesting topic on the message board because um, I spent a lot of time talking about Alabama and Ohio State. Just sort of a, well, there's where these guys are because ultimately you have to run into them at some point. They've if played them win, both, too. In the yeah, last if you're going to win a national title. Uh, but I think Stanford is the most interesting because I think you could argue they're not really a Notre Dame's. They're not a Notre Dame peer right now. They're better. Um, and I, I'm curious to, at some point, sit down with Jack Swarbrick, because he has a Stanford degree as well, I believe. Um, you know, do you look at Stanford as an aspirational peer? Like, if they're doing it, we can do it? Or do you look at it more as like, 
if they're doing it, wait a minute, why aren't we doing it now? Um, I'm not really sure what Notre Dame's perspective is on that, because Stanford runs this program completely differently from Notre Dame in a bunch of different ways. One of them is they redshirt a lot more. Um, they're an older team, and they have, a, I think, an identity that plays to the kind of kids they can get into school there, where they're not running... Um, you know, spread offense where they're trying to get as fast as they possibly can. I think they're trying to get as tough as they possibly can. And Notre Dame's sort of going the the other way. They're more of a speed finesse team at times. Um, maybe Notre Dame will be different this year. But, I, you know, Stanford is, is sort of maybe that's who we should be talking about more than Ohio State and Alabama. It's an interesting question because if you asked it a year ago today, you could easily say uh, Notre Dame Pierre was Oklahoma or Michigan or mm-hmm. Florida State, some of the double-digit winning teams. You ask the question a year later, and you're comparing them to Duke and Syracuse and Iowa State and Illinois, you know, record-wise. Um, but realistically, looking at it in total, uh, North Carolina, I mean, North Carolina won 10 games a couple years ago. North Carolina can go 7-6 and six in any year. That's kind of a peer right now, right? I'm I mean, I, Virginia, <laughs> Virginia Tech, I mean, in yeah. terms of I think, just up and down and where the mean is for a program. I might be mistaken, but I, I know that I went through sort of the Brian Kelly era, how other Power 5 teams had fared during that time. And I, I think Notre Dame had the same record as Kansas State. Um that may have been before last year. So, I think, look, Notre Dame needs to bring it up a couple notches <laughs> yeah, here. Um, I, I quickly looked because we knew it was something like this. Stanford, since Brian Kelly came to Notre Dame, 12-11, 12-11, 8-12-10. Those are their wins. 12-11, 12-11, 8-12-10. As opposed to 8-8, 12-9, 8-10-4. And you can throw out four. You know, I, I, it's not who they are. You could also throw out 12 then for Notre Dame, too. If you just right. get rid of the, the best and the worst. So it's still not, it's not, well, yeah, no, they're not, they're, not they're not to the level where Stanford but is But right that, that is a valid question. It's a great you know, question I, for Pete to try and ask. I was kind of. To ask Swarbrick, not, don't mention Stanford. I thought that was a good point in the message board. Yeah. Don't say the team name Stanford because <laughs> it's Whatever not going to do well. <laughs> you won't get the yeah. answer. But, I mean, you're saying North Carolina, that's just, that's just. Well, that's about where they are right is, now, right? I mean, yeah. an eight and five season is like kind you know of what, par though, for I the course. I would take up a little bit if you're going to go. We got to go over eight years, right? We got to go over an eight year span because that's their seven, eight year span. They played for a national title and they played a Fiesta Bowl, and North Carolina is not that. So you got to take. I would certainly, if you're a Notre Dame fan, trade not a four win season, but a couple of eight win seasons for that twelve win season. I would too. That's I mean, a big deal. North I mean, Carolina, I think it's worth acknowledging. I mean, they played Clemson in an ACC title game, mm-hmm. and they were sort of like, well, does North Carolina deserve to be in the playoff? I mean, they made a they made a yeah. playoff push. They made a push like Notre Dame did two years ago. Right. Um, but then you got to throw in that other year for Notre right, Dame. Right, which they um, didn't come close to. Right, right. Oh. Okay, uh, lost, <laughs> lost 65-82. What record does Brian Kelly need to meet in 2017 to be safe for 2018? Will a nine and three season work without a solid bowl victory? Easily nine and three. I don't. I, I really think I'm putting this in a column today. It was a two year. It's a two year investment in Brian Kelly that they made. Unless it's a relative repeat of last year. At least year. two. Yeah, but unless, I, I mean, well, if you have anything close to last year in one of these two years, at the end of two years, you can. I think stop. A good way. You're thinking about it. tie goes to the the incumbent on that one. 
you know, it's if it's if it's debatable, I think he'll win the debate. Fourteen wins the next two years, that would not get him a third year, right? Probably not. Fourteen should not be enough the next two years, no. Because you can't find a reasonable way for that to happen. That's not, I, five I, and nine is I, not something you want. I mean, that's, sixteen. That's what minimum. You, tell me how the sixteen yeah. comes, and then you might work out, right? Yeah, I, and that's why I don't like putting just numbers no, on well, it because it, it's just it, not a number. But it's nine and three people every the, the nine the is a number, and that's yeah. a good yeah, one. Nine's a good nine's, the mantra. It's going up. If that I mean, happens. you know, we'll we'll know better the level of schedule that they're going to face, but. Looks pretty good right now. Nine wins, nine out of twelve games, with with those five road games. Really I mean, O'Malley, let's get O'Malley start on road games because <laughs> I think they be, can start road games. Right? Because they don't start, they show you, up late. Would you you take three out of five road wins right now? Yes, that's what the ten, <laughs> would you take two? That's what the Jalen Smith team did. Three out of five road wins. Right. The best team they've had since you'd 2012. Take two. You'd take two out. Right. I would take two. Yeah, because I well, you know I would take three because I think they'll get two. So okay. I, I would take three. Yeah, that's, I, that's what the 2015 team did. You're that confident they were going to get two road I wins this year? I think they'll get two road wins out of five. I agree, but yeah. I'm just so asking you. So I would take you. three because they went three and two with a much better roster. With pros all over the roster in 2015. The NC State game true. at home, I'm telling you, man... Yeah, I think that's both, different. I, separate though, I don't is. think they're going to the No, it home. is. I'm just yeah. that just came to mind, and I think most people are tuned in now to where NC State is. Dave Doran, the guy that finally beat a team with a winning record when he beat North Carolina at the end of last year, that ruined Pete's uh, but that research is a, project. Of, uh, yet another North Carolina Notre Dame comparison. Yeah, that is a that's they both lost to NC State. That's a that's a quality team. That is a quality team. Yeah. If Dave Doran can do a better job of based upon the people that I know that know Dave. Doran and his relationship with people. So I'll say if Dave Doran can do a better job of communicating with people, they will they will be really they should be that should be a nine win that they should press for nine wins. Do you remember that uh we did the pregame incident analysis before the hurricane or during the hurricane and there was not a nice word said in the press box from the North Carolina State people. Oh, Dave no. Doran, it was amazing. I mean, he, they've never... That just Have went, I ever said publicly, I've said it to you guys, I don't know if I've ever said it publicly, the comment about Dave Doran, Dave Doran has a personality of a grape, and it's a sour grape. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually... But did we... I, all right, so we all assume nine, nine and three is the season that he's absolutely 100%. Oh, no yeah. No one's even questioning that, right? That he's... Yeah. And I would... Yeah. Nine, nine is... That's easy. Yeah. Eight... Eight is room for debate, um, and then it gets. And I would also say, like on the bowl victory part of it, I would, I would give less than one game's credence to a bowl victory or a bowl loss because it's just such a one-off, well, especially at nine and three situation. You beat Ohio State in a bowl game; it's pretty cool. If you beat, yes, yeah, but if, you're probably not going to get to Ohio no, State no, with no, nine no, wins. No, you're not. You're not. All right, B one GB zero B basketball recruiting question. Great that we got another point guard, but. It, what is really needed is a good power forward. What are the prospects of getting a four-star power well, forward? Well, I don't think they're going to get a, pow- a four-star power forward in this recruiting class. They may get Juwan Durham, the transfer from UConn, but he's going to have to sit out a year. You know, right now their power forwards are. I mean, you know, really, Bonzi Colson yeah. is your is your ultimate. He's a pretty but, good one. Yeah, he's a good one, and Austin Torres is a power forward. And John Mooney and Elijah Burns, so they're kind of stacked with them. But the, you know, Mooney and Burns are their future at that position. They both have three years of eligibility heading into next season. Uh, but it's my understanding that probably, and it's going to be a big recruiting class because after next year, only Fluger, Gibbs, Burns, Jogo, 
Mooney and Harvey are coming back from the current team. And then, of course, you're going to add Prentice Hub. But, um, you know, I'm not sure they're going to get a power forward other than Jawan Durham, who's kind of, he's 6'11". He's not a real powerful guy right now, but he would fit that uh, that mold. So that's probably going to have to come in the next recruiting class. And the two guys that were thrown my way as, as the strongest possibilities right now are Joey Hauser, who's a 6'8", 210-pounder out of Mequon, Wisconsin. He could end up at Wisconsin. He could end up at Marquette. And then there's another kid, a three-star, Sadiq Bay, who... Uh, you know, is really only about 185 pounds right now, but they kind of project him. And he's from uh, Washington, D.C. He's a guy that could grow into that position as well. But as far as power forwards right now, I don't think you're going to see one in the freshman class coming up. And I think the key to this is that Mooney's as good as a lot of people think he can become. Because Burns then can just be a guy that helps you defense right. and rebounding, and he has the body for it. So it doesn't matter if Burns is a below-the-rim player as long as he is a do-the-dirty-work below-the-rim player. I'm pretty confident he's going to be that guy. I do, How too. about you? I, I am. I just think he's starting off with the foot issue is a problem, then he get buried because he don't want a big bench. Uh, the only odd thing is that they needed help there earlier in the season. They didn't really turn to him. Um, probably isn't. He's not the best he'll be at I'd this like, point. Do you have more info on this, Pete? No, not in terms of targets. I was just going to mention in terms of Elijah Burns. I'd like to see him supplant Austin Torres Is that and guy? like yeah. let's see some development moving forward because I think we know what Austin Torres is. Yeah, um, they want they they the need f- to have a, a, a better. Talent the thing there. is, though, every time you put Austin Torres in game, within the first seventeen seconds, he makes a play that that's a that's positive for you. He's and a good. Him, three, I like him yeah. two minutes a half, though. I don't. Yeah. Like oh no, I, I agree yeah. with that. Uh, he's coming that's, back that's for what a fifth spark year. Is, is yeah, he's coming back minutes. for fifth year, and well, obviously he's accepted that. One last but. thing, I apprentice hub there. I was talking to somebody who works over Purcell, and I mean they. He said that next to Jaron Grant, they he thinks this guy is could be a cut below that. Which I mean, if that happens, yes, yeah, great. You got a really good point guard. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and I and I heard the same comments that so we're probably talking probably to the, the same, same person. person. Yeah. But um you know, Hub's release point is low. It, it's off the it's completely off the dribble. It's kind of from the hip off Jared's the dribble. Jared's shot looked terrible at the beginning. It's a set shot with two feet. Right. Yeah, so that's that you know, Okay. That but I'm not sure how, I'm not sure his release point is going to get much higher from right, where it right. is, which is and that's fine. But at 62 and a half, maybe 63 you know, you face that length on the perimeter when you're playing against a zone, it's difficult to get that shot over, which is why that was the one thing that I hated about losing Matt Ryan because that dude could shoot over any zone yeah. at his size. And once he got locked in, I thought he was going to be pretty good. But Look, Jaron Grant's name comes up again. Once yeah. they see him on yeah. campus, that's all you need. He's, he's you a real stoic. You know, Prentice Hub's a real uh, unemotional stoic kind of player, really good athlete, plays above the rim when he has an opportunity to do that. Um, Jaron Grant's my Will Fuller when I talk post game after Notre Dame game. Pete, right? There's yeah. <laughs> yes. amazement at their greatness. <laughs> yeah. So good. Uh, Golden by name. With all your travels to away games over the years, what stadium has the best pregame atmosphere, and which one has the best in-game atmosphere? In your opinion, you can include Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> For what? <laughs> you know, I never thought of it. I. It was an interesting question because yeah. I never thought of it in terms of pregame right. and during game. Um, but I mean, t- in terms of pre, okay, two jump out at me. Yeah. Pregame. I have an easy one, one is 
outside the stadium, one is inside the stadium. Oh. Outside the stadium is the LSU tailgate. Now, when Notre Dame was whipping LSU, I saw their fans leave in masses. But pregame outside LSU, pregame inside, is there anything better than what we saw than Clemson? Inside Clemson was amazing. For me, outside, I, you know what? Tennessee is something else. That was really cool. Well, that, I consider that in-game. I, yeah, I, mean, I like, I don't about, I like the river and all that out there. Oh, yeah, too, yeah okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I, that I, was I think amazing. Tennessee is the first that came to mind. Clemson was amazing, but remember, Tennessee had a bad Notre Dame team. I'm talking about the last, most recent time. I saw that when Notre Dame was number one. That was just the most yeah. ridiculous thing. I would list Tennessee as a... Yeah, but I, Clemson had a great, or a really good Notre Dame team and a great game coming in. That helps They the come atmosphere. up in buses. You cool. can see them I mean, driving cool. up, and then mm-hmm. they could, they run down the hill. Open air press box is huge for us at Clemson because we were dry. And uh, you, when you could hear and feel the stadium like that, that's great. That's, that, that's one thing I really wish Notre Dame would have thought of. I know it's different weather, but an open air. No, but Mich- Michigan has the, <laughs> Michigan's windows open up for nice games. You know, they, they open it up so you yeah. can feel the the atmosphere. Pete, a bit your more. your stadiums, game, um, game day stadiums. I thought ten, walking up to Tennessee, I thought was amazing. Um, I don't remember much about like a great intro. Uh, I would say just to, maybe to be different because Clemson was great. I thought Oklahoma was amazing. Um, I mean, they're firing off guns. They got the boomer schooner thing coming out. I thought their pregame video was the best that I had seen. As they really incorporated the history of Oklahoma, they and I think there was a shot at the end where Stoops and Switzer are on the screen together, and like people are just freaking losing it. Um, but Michigan's oh, the loudest. In, that was the loudest I've ever been, and that was probably the loudest game too. So I think in-game Michigan, pre-game you could probably have a toss-up between Clemson, Michigan, and uh, Oklahoma. Those would be my... See, I wouldn't list Michigan because I've been there so many times. And, it's changed and so much, though, how loud it is I'm now. saying like the 2011-2013. Okay, yes. yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with Oklahoma. I mean, I thought Texas what about, opening uh, night last year was, was oh, pretty yes. awesome. That was too. great. Uh, Nebraska opening night with Nebraska. the, walk, the black shirts walking. See, now I would they list... show them walking uh, mm. on the video screen and the fans start yeah, going I wasn't crazy. Yeah, there for that one. I would list Nebraska... Post game because, post game because as the Nordane players filed through to get to their locker room, the, the I've I've wrote about this in the past. The yeah. Nebraska fans were lined up, like shaking their hands. I, I've never seen, yeah, I'd never mm. seen anything like that. They were getting killed at the half, and Nebraska. I was actually in the stands at the area where they were walking to that. That uh, was they awesome. were getting murdered. They that were was really like, that was it's totally. like keep your head up. And like patting Notre Dame players on the shoulder. Now, I mean, they knew they were going to win, but it's, yeah. you know, it was a very friendly atmosphere. Uh, Penn State whiteout that was pretty awesome. Um, With Clawson, Ohio State in the mid nineties. That was a violent place to be. Wow. Well, you go violent, then you have one more to go, right? And and so yeah, so for me, the top one, of course, oh. Miami '89, which uh, is trying to kill you. Never been problem. anything yeah. like that. I mean, we're a little snarky about Notre Dame there, but in game USC. Yeah. Oh, yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like, amazing. this is the thing. We don't ever go to Clemson to see That's Clemson-Pittsburgh. That. That's why I mentioned Notre Dame was a big you know? game for Clemson. It, yeah. was, it was a huge thing. We go. We only see Notre Dame let and Notre Dame road let games. Let Clemson-Wake Forest. Right. Yeah. And when Notre Dame travels, um, that I made a comment about Tennessee in 04, they're, they're a 500 team, Notre Dame with Davey. They ended up winning the game. Of course, a weird upset. But that was, I mean, when Notre Dame goes there, the fans are into it. It doesn't matter... 
how bad they are. Yeah. Yeah. They, they are really into that game. When I got off the, it was opener at, in Omaha, getting off the plane in Omaha, or opener in Lincoln, off the plane in Omaha, it says, welcome to the game of the century, South Bend fans. <laughs> like, <laughs> Notre Dame was coming off, you know, I, mean, I guess they're coming off a good year, but it's, think about that. I mean. <laughs> Let me throw in one pregame. And it's going way back. I get that. But Green Jersey game, 1977, Bigger. USC. <laughs> uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, Notre Dame has great, great moment games and great atmosphere. Yeah. And great games. Just has It's been a while yeah. and they don't have they don't have yeah, a I, continuously great atmosphere. Pete makes a, a, a great point because yeah. we're not in those atmospheres right, yeah. day, game after game. So you don't know. I would imagine that Clemson is 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 pretty special, you know, especially as good as they are now. I think Florida State was the best uh, Florida State at Notre Dame was the best pregame I saw at Notre Dame because I was a junior and people were there. I mean, it was just weird to have ESPN there on Monday for mm-hmm. the game Le- leading up to it. There's people sleeping outside for the four tickets that might come available and, you know, lose sending pizza to everybody that's outside waiting for their tickets. And it was just, as I said, Sports Illustrated had a cover the week before the game previewing the Notre Dame-Florida State game. I think that's impossible nowadays, right, obviously. Right, right, right. So that was one because I, I think their Notre Dame was a um, – People bring up Miami, but Florida State Notre Dame was such a bigger game at the time because every that no one knew who was going to win. Like people expected Miami to beat Notre Dame in '88. Yeah. That was yeah. that was the upset. So. Yeah, uh, UND '63. How much can and will the football coaches work with the players over the summer? Has there been, has there been a loosening of restrictions? Yeah, a couple years ago. There yeah, was. And I think we're going into the yeah. third year. Yeah, of um, like OTAs. Yeah, they're. That's basically what they are. I I want to say it's eight hours. It is uh, eight hours. So. Okay. Is it third year or second year? I think it's I think the it's, third. I think it's the third year, too. I think this is the third year. Um, you know, so that's it. That's how much they're working with them. You know, are they watching film in the summer? Going to the office voluntarily? Yeah. Uh, but in terms of actual practice and stuff. Yeah, but a, a, a player can visit an assistant coach, yeah. right, and talk about, hey, <laughs> we're going out on the... Yeah, I mean, they're going out on the practice right. field. They run seven-on-seven stuff, on the, seven right. stuff. It's, I mean... With one quarterback this time? Yes. Leading the way? With one quarterback leading the way. So it's, look, and, and this is stuff that goes on everywhere. Um, so this is, you know, it's like a lot of times we'll I get a little too carried away. I was like, wow, they're really working hard in the offseason. Well, you know what? Everyone is. Um, but I guess maybe we shouldn't say that. But <laughs> like at, at Alabama and Ohio State and Stanford and North Carolina and whatever comparison we want to make, they're all doing the OTAs. They're all lifting weights. They're all throwing seven on seven. You know, there there really is at Alabama and Ohio State. There isn't a choice as to whether you're going to work hard or not, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, you'll get passed up. You'll get <laughs> but, you'll transfer. But I wanted to point out, I did mean that it's a good thing that there's one quarterback leading things. That wasn't being yes. sarcastic. I was being sarcastic about last year. But that's another good thing about changing coaches is the expectation for this summer, I think, would be heightened because it's not status quo. I mean, you you better be doing all this work on your own because yeah. they don't have any allegiance to you. Yeah. They, it's, they, you shouldn't have the allegiance to these players. It's sort of like the positive of going 4-8. and eight. That's, that's just like the list is the last echo of that until training camp starts. But if you can't have a great offseason after what happened last year, I Something's wrong with right. you. All right, this question is too long for me to read. I'll screw it up. So somebody, I read. will go. Irish Cajun, a separate question, but related as it applies to the defensive secondary. If the Irish play well on defense this year, wouldn't recruiting explode? I'm worried we're casting too wide of a net this early in the game, and if the defense gets it together, we'll have to be beating them off with sticks. We're being selective on offense at linebacker, but perhaps not selective enough at DL and in the secondary. I don't know. They turned down Malik Van. On at the end, and and yeah. I'm not sure how hard they're pushing for PJ Mustafer now, 
So I'm not sure that that necessarily applies to the defensive line. And then, Pete, you have better perspective on this than me. But, I mean, in the secondary, they have to cast a wide net now for corners. And just because an offer's out there doesn't mean that you'll mm-hmm. necessarily accept that. What's your perspective on that? Well, okay. One good way to look at it is they have five commits on defense. Derek Allen, the Adamalola twins. Now, if you want to say that Justin Adamalola is a little bit of a reach, okay. But Jason Adamalola is a defensive well, tackle. No school's going to get one without the yeah, other. Yeah, exactly. And Jason is a stud. Um, that guy has been outstanding all offseason. He's a guy that Ohio State really wants. So... I also really want him. Uh, and then the linebackers they got were, you know, Bo Bauer, who they evaluated last summer. I like him more than David Adams. He's much longer, taller. I think he's similar position. I mean, if you put him at the mic, I think he could be great. And then Obi Agufo, I guess I'm less sure about, but he's good enough to score an invite to the opening final. So if you're concerned about the offers, don't be, because they're all conditional. Notre Dame has a bunch of offers out there that are like, we're going to offer you, but we need you to come to camp to work out. We're going to offer you, but you're our fourth choice at this position. So I wouldn't worry too much about the conditional offers at this point. If if you're looking at Notre Dame's commitment list, if suddenly you decide to start taking them on, then I think you're going to have a little bit more of a concern. But I, you know, look, look at the defensive line, for example. They've got the Adamolo twins. Really good chance to get Thomas Booker. Uh, defensive end out of D.C. area. I think there's a very good chance they'll get Jason Away, who's a uh, defensive end out of New Jersey, who I think has got all sorts of upside all over the place. He's played eight career games. Yeah, he's, he's really six, raw. 6'5", 236. Ohio State offered him recently. Penn State's on him. Uh, Harvard is on him. I kind of like him at tight end more than DN, but I think yeah, his upside's great. His, his upside's greater at DN. Yeah, so let's say you end up with Jamie and Franklin, Thomas Booker, Jason away in the Isle of Malolo Twins. That's, that's a really good five-man nice. haul on the, de- on, nice. on the yeah. defensive line. Now, the secondary corner, I get it. Um, it's hard to look at their board and think, okay, these are the these are this is the Jamie and Franklin at corner. Or this is the Thomas Booker corner. Outside of Houston Griffin, it's um, it's, a, it's a little bit muddy. Yeah. I'm 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 always more concerned when the net's smaller as opposed to larger, especially at this stage of the process, I, I, I don't I, I don't think there's a downside, as Pete explains. You know, these offers come with, with caveats to them mm-hmm. as far as coming and proving yourself, which is, which is the way to do it. So I'm not, I mean, I guess I understand where the question's coming from, but I wouldn't get overly concerned about a wide net because they need that at corner. The other thing is, if the defense plays really well this year, the Notre Dame will win 10 games, so you don't have to worry as much about it. Just be happy. <laughs> I, I do agree with the, the, the beginning of the question, if, where it says if the Irish play well on defense, wouldn't recruiting explode? Yes. Uh, I mean, I think you saw that, F, and that's is really, really well. Like, to move the needle is 11-1, and one, which is probably yeah. not happening. But, I mean, you look back at when they went 12-0 and 0 in the regular season, suddenly it's Fulston, Redfield, Greg Bryant, you know, and say what you want about how those careers talent. turned out. Eddie Vanderdoes, again, say how whatever you want to say about how the careers turned out. When those commitments were coming in and those guys were signing, you're like, holy crap. I mean, this is what happens when Notre Dame goes above and beyond and really moves the needle with wins. SR5452 with the Crossroads Project finishing up. What do you think future student-athletes will be most impressed with 
And what do you guys like best about the improve the improvement project? I mean, we haven't really been in there to see what the video board is going to look like. I want to write about that this summer, um, which seems weird that I want to do a story about a television. But I really would like to get into the programming that they want to put on, just the technical aspects of it. Um, they were installing speakers last week, um, and it's you know the same company that did, I think, Luke Soil Stadium. Um, you know, basically very high end athletic facilities, uh, you know, NFL, NBA type stuff. So I'm curious more about that. I, I think that I, I don't know how the video board couldn't be the thing that is going to resonate the most, not just in games, but if you're a recruit and you, every recruit that comes in walks down the tunnel into the stadium, you walk down the tunnel and they have like your highlight tape and you in a Notre Dame uniform on there, like, think that would probably register a little bit yeah i mean i can't think of anything more important than how how it plays out with the i mean, I mean you know you could probably do a little bit better uh playlist for lack of a better word from what they've had in the stadium I mean, you could maybe have a little <laughs> bit more effort put into that if you're not going to be using the band which i think actually we talked about this in basketball they've really upgraded i really liked how in basketball this year the video that you saw at the beginning of the year was not the video you saw during the year they started implementing yes. big win highlights that's right that's Huge, yeah, and it's great, and it's always good to have. Uh, you got to tie in the past at Notre Dame, no matter what. You got to really be able to tie in what's going on in the present. Get those Temple highlights up. Yeah, yeah, get that. I mean, you know, the, come back after Notre Dame beats Virginia two years ago to the Georgia Tech game, and you show Will Fuller score the game-winning touchdown. It's not quiet in yeah. that stadium. Yes, but if you just announce, you know, the members of the whatever squad that are graduating <laughs> this year, it's a little bit more quiet. They're going to be, I mean, we all, we all know the makeup of Notre Dame fans. There are going to be mixed reactions to this. So, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I meant this in basketball. I really think if they use the band more in basketball instead of the playlist they use, that the crowd yeah, would be I agree. in it more. Yeah, I agree with that. Because now, that's of what you're enclo- saying. Yeah, that's yeah. an enclosed mm-hmm. environment. But, you know, mixed reactions because it is going to be, it's going to be very, very different. It's going to be very loud. It's, it's important that they... You know, you've got to have somebody making the right decisions on how to use the yes, scoreboard and the yes. sound as well. That's um, tricky. And even, I mean, even in the the prehistoric type usage Nordames had in recent years, that hasn't always worked really well. So, which stadium were we in? It was way too loud the last two years. The scoreboard. I mean, the uh, jumbotron. You remember? Was it Clemson? Yeah, what Clemson was. was was, was mm. absurdly yeah, loud. Yeah. We were very close to it. That was part of yeah, it. But. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, and I wouldn't think that Nordame is going to, or they're going to choose to be a little bit quieter as opposed to a little bit louder with the, the, it'll be loud enough. I'm sure either way, but that's going to be fascinating. That's going to be something that we're going to be, you know, we're in a press box and kind of isolated by it, but, but, but you're not going to be, you you can't be isolated from that kind of sound system. I'll be curious to see how quickly, I mean, we'll get there fast. How quickly fans get to a similar point as they did with field turf. I think I said this when I went. I was like, you're really going to notice it for the first game, and then you're never going to notice it again. The video board shouldn't be that way. And that's, I think, O'Malley, your point is like, if you're updating and doing it right, you should always be conscious of it being there, there opposed to being in the background. Was there a sillier thing than saying the tradition of Nordame? Real grass. I mean, <laughs> come on. And there, there was no. There's a lot of traditions in Nordane. That's that doesn't fall under the category of tradition. They didn't have field turf. Was part of the <laughs> right. reason it didn't exist. Right. But or, if also, if you just went on the field in November, you knew it had to happen. 
If you oh, like God, grass, it smells ridiculous. good. I like grass, but it was it was it dirt. doesn't. It, it was terrible. It's great. It's great now. It's not even an issue yeah. anymore. That the the surface that you play on should never be an issue, and it clearly had become an issue in Notre Dame Stadium. Yeah. It's, if it's good enough for NFL teams. It works. It works. All right. Well, that's a wrap for this Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by irishillustrated.com. This podcast will be back June 5th. Uh, We're not going to record something on Memorial Day. Um, Tim, are you going to do the Indy 500 again? For the first time in 35 years, I am not. Oh, okay. But uh, Irish Illustrated Recruiting Extra will be back on Thursday. Uh, I'll be joined, as usual, with Kevin Sinclair to talk recruiting. Hopefully we'll have another recruit on. Uh, we had Jimmy and Franklin on last week. If you haven't listened to that, you can download it. Pretty insightful interview. I think you can see why he's almost certainly going to end up at Notre Dame uh, if you listen to that. So until this podcast returns, returns on June 5th, I'm Pete Sampson with Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley. You've been listening to Irish Illustrated Insights.